HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Anytime you come to Roberta's, you eat, you eat on us. <laughs> I'm afraid that may be a safe bet, huh? I think I'll call Andrea. There you so go. also, when, when, I intru- when I introduce you guys, at the very beginning, I'm going to be like, we got Kathy Webb. Hey, Kathy. And then you'll say your voice so that the listener knows what voice belongs to you. Okay. Okay. Hello, welcome to a very special Heritage Radio Network Farm Report. Today we're talking about goats. We have Marge Kilkelly of Dragonfly Farms in Dresden, Maine in studio. Hi, Marge. Thank you, Lorenzo. Hi. And on the phone from Maine, we've got Kathy Webb of Webb Family Farms in Pittston. Hey, Kathy. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. And of course, Wendy Pay of Springtide Farm in Bremen on the phone as well. Say hi to our listeners, Wendy. Hello, listeners. (laughs) (laughs) So today's farm report, folks, is a special edition on consortium farming. We're going to talk about three farms that are pooling their resources to, to use every aspect of the dairy and meat programs that they have to their advantage. Kathy on Webb Family Farm raises goats. Wendy at Springtide Farm raises cashmere goats for fiber. And Marge is raising goats for meat. So they, 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 they've come together to form a consortium so that no aspect of the goats is wasted. So why don't you explain to us, Marge, how a farm consortium works? Well, what we did in Time for Goat was to bring together some farmers that were interested in finding ways to market their goat locally. And so we actually started with six farms. We're now down to three, Dragonfly Cove Farm, which is our farm, New Aim Farm in Waldeboro, and Springtide Farm in Bremen. And what we do is we try our best to find great markets for our wonderful goat meat that's raised on local family farms. And that's where Kathy Webb at Webb Family Farm comes in because Kathy's farm um, has a it's a very diverse farm, and she can talk about that in a few minutes, okay. but they raise dairy goats. And we buy goats, um, Time for Goat purchases goats from Kathy's farm as well as several others um, to supply our customers. Okay. So Time for Goats is an independent entity, sort of. It is. Okay. It is. And what we're um, part of the reason that we got started doing it is that Wendy um, – and Peter on their farm, and, and Al and Nancy on their farm, and my husband Joe and I 
all are raising meat animals but didn't want to sell them to auction, want to make sure their animals are handled well all the way through their life. Uh, they have very nice lives while they're with us and we make sure that at the end when they're processed that that's also as stress-free as possible. And the only way to really guarantee that is for us to have responsibility for that. Wendy, you might want to talk about that a little bit because that's certainly been something you've been working on in the legislature as well. Yeah, we have in Maine brought a woman named Temple Grandin in who's worked with humane slaughtering around the country with a lot of the bigger slaughterhouses and she's working with the state of Maine to set up an audit program so that when an animal goes in to be slaughtered at one of our main slaughterhouses that it is humane as possibly can be. Like a third party audit? It's exactly like a third, it is a third party audit that she's now designing for the small outfits as well as it, it, she already does it for the big guys. Okay, so, so Kathy, what does this third party auditing involve? Oh, well. Probably that's a, be a better question for Wendy okay. um, in terms of uh, the work that she's been doing in the legislature on that. And we can talk to Kathy about why it's important to her to have a market for her goats. Okay. So this is uh, Wendy again. The third-party audit is something that they will audit. They'll come into the slaughterhouse, the auditor, and they'll look at the system, how the an comfortable the animal is moving through it. They'll audit things like how long the animal waits once they're in the area to be killed, to be killed, if they show any stress, like if they squeal or call out or anything, and how quick and efficient the kill is, all of that sort of thing gets audited from the perspective of the humane treatment. A lot of the attention in slaughterhouses has been, and of course has to be, on food safety and, and making sure everything stays clean, and that's where the USDA focuses a lot of their energy on their inspection. And in Maine, we also have a main meat inspection program. So as we're evolving that, um, people that volunteer to participate will be able to call their meat handled with care. They're excited about it. And who, how, how is this third-party yachting subsidized? Who, who pays for these things? Well, in the end, it'll probably be paid for a slaughterhouse, like the place that Time for Goat uses in Maine is actually they paid to have the natural foods people come in and audit it themselves for their criteria for having a humane slaughter. So the slaughterhouse there paid for it. I would guess that in the, it's kind of initially not subsidized because it hasn't cost very much yet, but there probably will be some cost borne by the industry. And I think it really does turn into a marketing tool for those slaughterhouses. I mean, certainly one of the things when we worked on the main meat inspection program, part of the idea was to be able to say, uh, because we love Maine so much, that uh, the animals are raised in Maine, they're processed in Maine, they're, um, all the value added happens there, and they're sold in Maine. So you've got the, now the idea that you've got a reduced carbon footprint because that meat isn't being traveled all over the country, um, in, you know, in, in general, and also that uh, you know, we've got a really good product and it's close to home and that's the best for the animals. And Kathy, I know you and I were talking earlier this morning about um, what a difference it meant for your farm to have a way to market your animals. Do you want to talk about that just a little bit? Sure. Um, when I first started having goats maybe 15 years ago, um, we, had, we started with two. And as we kept breeding them, I only wanted them for milk. Um, I wasn't really interested in raising meat. But, you know, as the years have gone by, I've been upwards to 70 goats. And part of the reason was because there was no place 
that I felt they were handled well or treated well, and I I couldn't send my animals, you know, into a uh, condition or, you know, where they weren't going to be treated well because we raise them well. They're certified organic. Our farm is organic. And it just got to be too many, you know, for us to handle on a daily basis. So when I found Marge and the way they treat their animals, it made a huge difference for me because I knew that I was raising them well and then they were going to be picked up at my farm and transported directly to the processing place and not held somewhere, um, you know, in unclean or unhealthy um, conditions. So it made a huge difference for me. And now we're down to a manageable <laughs> herd, you know, and I feel very comfortable and very happy with what's been available. So now I understand that also that the way in which an animal is slaughtered and the stress level of the animal just before slaughter affects the quality and the taste of the meat after slaughter. Can you speak to this point a little bit, Kathy? Um, I feel like that's definitely true. Um, is this because of adrenal adrenal releases? I mean, what what is the what what's the what's the biological process going on here? Yeah, I do feel like it's that there's if they're calm um, and not afraid, like fear plays a huge part in the quality of the meat. I think and um, it, just the whole handling process. You know, if they stay calm which I've seen every time animals have been picked up here, I just feel like it's a better way to serve the animal and people. And Wendy, I know when we had Temple Grandin in Maine, um, she talked a lot about the cortisol and, and just the different hormonal releases that did stress animals and that there actually was a, an economic value and benefit to going through the extra work of having a humane slaughter facility. Do you want to expand on that just a little bit? Yeah. she. She found that they were, the animals that went through stress-free had much less of the cortisol present. And she even told a story of where they used some kind of a shock thing to relax the tense animal, which, you know, worked kind of backwards, but even after it was killed. The other thing they find is by handling them in a stress-free manner, it's much safer for the handler. You know, we think about our goats. Right. that we can handle, but if you think about a steer or a five or six or seven sure. or eight hundred pound pig, if that animal is moving through the system comfortable, the handler's not going to get hurt either, and they don't then have, they don't use the electric prods, they use a little stick with a little, you know, wavy thing on the end of it, and the animals move through with considerable comfort. So not only does the product taste better, not only can they use all of it, but through that stress-free management, everybody is much more comfortable. Well, I think I'm glad you mentioned taste because that sort of moves us into the most important part of this whole thing. I mean, the three of us on our farms are very happy with the wonderful product that we raise and the great goat we raise. And so the other reason not to, not to just automatically take them to auction is we really like to share that. We like to share this really good product with other people. And, there are such advantages to goat meat. Goat meat is very low in fat, um, it's a very healthy meat, and it's very delicious. And while the United States is really just sort of catching up to understanding how delicious goat is, 62% of the world, their primary food meat is goat. Yeah, and, I was going to ask you yeah. that. That's surprising to me. I mean, 
Why do you think it's taken the United States... Why do you think the United States is only now catching up with this conventional wisdom? I mean, do you think it's has to do with history and trade routes and what animals got to what country? I mean, do you think that Americans are sort of um, a little... You know, Do they, they think of the goat as an exotic, non-edible meat? I mean, what, what is it? Well, I think there's a couple of things, and actually it's funny because um, I actually talk to friends about this a lot. I mean, when you look at... The New England farms in particular, I mean, most of them, the old farms were fenced with with um, wonderful stone walls. And for a goat, a stone wall is a toy. For a cow, a stone wall is a barrier. So huh. it's a whole lot easier to keep a cow in a stone wall when you clean those fields and you created those pastures than it is uh, than uh, it is to keep goats that way. And I think the other part is that we had so much land. Um, when you think about the way that the migration happened into this country and there's so much room that you could run large herds of cattle. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you're going to be able to, to take them to market and, and to sell them and whatever. So I think we're just catching up. And sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting because another meat that is super underproduced in the United States is lamb. Mm -hmm. I mean, underproduced and under under consumed. Yeah. And I think that the lamb and the goat are not, you know, I think they're, they're, they're placed into a family by people, even though they couldn't be more different. I think probably the three of us would say that the goat meat is just so much better, though. <laughs> uh -huh. it's, it's much lower in fat, right? It's much but, lower in fat. Yeah, Kathy? Yeah, Kathy. Is that, is that, was that Kathy or Wendy? That uh, was Wendy. Oh. That Goat meat has 3.0 grams of fat in 4 ounces, which is about the same as in skinless chicken breast. And it has, very little. It has very less little. than half as much in the leanest cuts of beef or pork. And it has even fewer calories than chicken at about 160 per four ounces. So it, it's good. I think, you know, politics has been alive in the United States forever. And, you know, ha having a, your big beef ranches out west was much more interesting. The other thing is that when the sheep farmers came out and challenged those open ranges and put up fencing and barbed wire to contain their sheep to protect them as much as anything, um, that caused huge range wars. And so, you know, we have a culture that's been based on, as Marge is saying, a lot of room and a lot of space. And it's kind of too bad because goat tastes great. I think one of the other things, too, that's important about the resurgence or, or the emergence, I guess, even better, of goat, particularly in New England, is that there are so many small farms and there are people that are interested in doing small-scale agriculture and goats really lend themselves to that. You can build a very manageable size barn, you can have a manageable size acreage, um, and even if you have to purchase hay like we do on our small farm, um, it's still a reasonable, affordable thing. I can't imagine if we were trying to raise beef critters, we'd probably have two or three as opposed to the 70 goats we have. Sure, um, and, and are they easy and affordable to raise, to raise naturally? They are. Like lambs? They are. You know, I was, I was talking to, um, we had, we had a lamb expert on the show here a couple weeks back, and he said that if you're in if you're in the meat aisle of your restaurant and you're looking for a naturally raised product and you don't know necessarily which one is which, that more often than not the lamb is your best bet because of the affordability of raising it and grazing it naturally, and because of the limited space that it necessitates. Would you say that a similar it's the similar is true of the goat? Uh. Maybe Kathy wants to respond to that. Yeah. Um, I do. I think we're lucky here. Um, I have 100 acres, and my goats can travel anywhere they want. And all summer, I don't have to really feed them any hay. You know, some farms have to, but 
for me, it's they eat what they want um, on a daily basis. They're very healthy. They grow really fast, um, and they have not much impact on the land. Um, so that's what works for me. Yeah. And, and Wendy, why don't you talk about your your fields of clover that your goats created? <laughs> that goats, unlike cattle or even sheep, are browsers. They're more like deer. So. If you go in our in our forest that our goats are in, it's about our shoulder height is where growth starts because they've trimmed all the trees and killed all the shrubs. And so they live on things that nobody else likes. If you walk in our field, you'd say, oh, my goodness, these people should be growing rocks. You know, we have a lot of ledge and a lot of shrub and things that a lot of other animals wouldn't get along with. And so we have the goats out, and they let the clover come up. You go out now, you're knee-deep in clover and grass, and then I'll switch it, and I'll put the horses in there and the goats in another spot, and the horses will start eating the grass. So they're, they're really wonderful. I mean, goat is the oldest domesticated animal, sure. even before dogs, because they provided milk, they, they provided meat, they provided pack animals, and they reproduced. Huh. And so they were just a natural for uh, the early cultures, and, and that lasts in many parts of the world. I think the other piece, too, that certainly um, is important to the three of us is that goats are just wonderful critters. Um, they have great personalities. Um, every one of them has a different personality. And oftentimes I get asked, well, you know, if they're such wonderful animals and you like them so much, how can you possibly, you know, raise them to be processed? And that, again, goes back to our whole purpose, which is to make sure that these animals that we care about so much are in fact through their entire lives um, raised in a way that's comfortable and handled in a way that's comfortable and processed in a way that's comfortable. And it's just really, um, that's a really important part to us. And the products that we create from these animals come from, as you started saying, Lorenzo, from all the different aspects of the goat. So for example, with, when we go to Kathy's and pick up a load of just you know these wonderful 90-pound kids that have been running through the woods all summer long, those are the ones that go into um, great kebab and loin-in roasts and boneless shoulder roasts and leg roasts, and they are exquisite. And, and the same thing with Wendy. Wendy's um, kids will go to market, say, in what, December usually, so you get the best fleece from them. And again, it's the same thing, just these wonderful fat kids. Then from the dairy farm, we also get the dairy doughs that can't be bred anymore, don't give enough milk, they're ready to retire. And again, rather than sending those animals that have provided for a family or, or for a cheese company for a long time, then those are the animals that we use to make garlic sausage and breakfast sausage, ground meat. Which and we're those, about to try. Which we're, which about, we're to about to try. Which we're about to try on a Roberta's pizza. That's right. And then the older, the older male goats are the ones that go into our pepperoni, salami, and summer sausage. So we've really tried to find a way to use all kinds of different goats um, in our products to provide opportunities for the farms that support us. Sure. And another to one, use the, I'm yeah, sorry. I was just going to say the other one, um, Appleton Creamery in Maine is a large scale um, goat cheese producer and we've purchased a lot of goats from Caitlin Hunter and when I talked to Caitlin about coming on the show, um, she'd love to do it another time, but she said she's up to her eyeballs in curd today. Um, today's <laughs> processing come on day. Uh, she should come on uh, Cutting the Curd and Saxoby's Cheese Special <laughs> there you on go. the radio. I have to just mention that we also, on our farm, pr produce cashmere. So we're a fiber outfit. I know you don't eat it, but it's a very natural, soft, wonderful fabric to wear. 
So oh. a lot of people don't even know cashmere comes from goats. But you should check out Wendy's website um, at springtidefarm.com because she has wonderful patterns and for sweaters and hats and, and all the instructions and you can purchase the yarn from her and the fleeces and everything. It's just gorgeous stuff. So basically what you guys are doing via the consortium is waiting um, until the moment in an animal's life where it's suitable for one type of product. So you, you use it for dairy when it's suitable for dairy and then you age the animal it lives and then it goes into the processing for meat or it gets sheared for cashmere. Is that basically the how the, how the system works? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, I think that, um, again, I mean, the neat part about, about the three of us being on together is that we represent three different aspects of the goat industry. And at the same time, it's all about meat goats because every goat at some point in their life is a meat goat. Um, sure. And I know a lot of people who just really love goat cheese don't necessarily want to hear that. But in order to make goat cheese, that goat's got to be having babies every spring. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at some point, it just can't do that anymore. So, um, so Marge, can you describe to me, because there might be a lot of listeners who have literally never even tasted goat mm-hmm. since it's only now being sort of introduced into the, into the American food system. Can you describe to me the, the taste po- profile of this animal and maybe compare it to other meats? Well, well, I know when we go to the farmer's what market... What does goat taste like? Yeah, when we go to the farmer's market, we always have samples, and people, of course, we're in Maine, so they'd often say, well, it tastes like venison. So <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know how many of your listeners have had venison, but um, actually, I toss it back to Kathy. Kathy, what do you think in terms of... What do you hear from people or, or from your family in terms of goat? Um, I think it's a very distinct taste of its own. Probably the texture is like venison, and that's why people, you know, have that opinion. Um, it's really different than lamb or anything else, but it's quite mild and very flavorful. Um, we've made everything, too, here on our farm from sausage to curries. It's wonderful in curries and stews. Um, we've, you know, just pan-fried little chops. It's just a very nice taste. It's mild. It's not strong at all. Is it gamey? No, not, not at it's all. Even such a rough and rugged animal, it doesn't end up tasting gamey? No, it doesn't. I, I think some people that don't uh, raise the animals with care and right, I think that that's where that gamey comes from. It's kind of like mutton. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going to do a, a leg roast from a 10-year-old buck, it's, it, <laughs> yeah, it's going to have <laughs> some of that flavor, but that's the animal like the older dairy cows that goes into the ground meat and one thing you'll find if you cook a, a stew and you use goat meat it gets extremely tender but it still holds its texture which you'll often other meats will turn kind of into a mush the goat will still have that texture it, i mean it really is wonderful and it's um it's interesting to talk to people for example around our sausage because if you take our chorizo sausage and you're going to cook it in a pan, you've got to put some oil in there first because there's no fat in it, and it doesn't shrink. And so, you know, people will try it, and they'll come back and say, oh, you were right, you know, or they buy ground meat, and they make a meatloaf, and it's like, well, it didn't shrink. How come? Well, it's because there's no fat in it, and, you know, so it's not, it's not you know, losing all that fat. So people are getting, um, you know, really 100% for their, for their pound of ground meat or their sausage or whatever. And part of the reason we started doing sausages, it's a great introduction for people into something that they're not familiar with. Most people like Italian sausage, whether it's hot or sweet, uh-huh. and they're willing to try it made from goat, 
um, because it's something that's already familiar to them. Okay. And I think on the flavor, the gamey piece, is that there certainly are cultures that prefer that very gamey flavor. Uh -huh. um, when I'm down here working in New York, I often will find various restaurants, ethnic restaurants, and try goat just because I want to see what the recipes are like. And I've had some very, very gamey goat that was quite intentional. Um, mm -hmm. It's not the way we would sell it. It's not the way we would harvest it. Mm -hmm. um, but again, in some cultures, that's really what, what they want. And that's perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> let me ask you this. Have, there, have you guys reaped any financial benefits from developing this? Aside from the ethical advantages, have you reaped any financial benefits from developing this consortium? In other words, are you earning more money than you would have individually just doing your own things? I guess I'll start with that just a little bit in terms of time for GOAT. Um, we've been direct marketing. This is now our third year. Um, and it is... we're sort of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of having to put the infrastructure in place, the walk-in freezers, the other kinds of things that we've needed to do. And certainly the goal is to um, provide an opportunity for us to continue to raise these wonderful animals and, and give people, you know, provide people with great food. Um, that's, you know, that's where we're headed and we're certainly, as time for go, working to do that. Um, hopefully for the farmers that we're purchasing from, it has provided them with um, the benefit that we're able to purchase their animals. Um, what we do is to set a price over the course of the entire year rather than have it fluctuate with the auctions and with holidays and whatever. Okay. And that provides um, some, some continuity. Stability. Yeah. Interesting. The other, other interesting thing is that there's no middle person here. Uh -huh. So, yeah, true. you know, we'll go to the farmer's market in the town of Damariscotta, which is near where we farm, and all these folks will come up and they'll try it, and then they'll say, well, let me order a couple of pounds and let me try this, and then they'll come back the next week and order more and keep expanding. And so your, your return to the farmer becomes so much more direct. It's that value-added part of it that really is helpful. I just also want to put in a pitch for Heritage Foods, I mean, because one of the things that has been very helpful for us is to be able to have our small consortium and our small farm, representing even other farms, um, be able to access a, a much wider market across the country. And they, the interesting piece is that there are so few um, farms or processors or whatever that are selling cuts of goat, you can go buy a whole goat if you've got a big freezer, you can put it in, that's and fine. And if you have any idea how to process what to, it. Yeah, or, or even how if to you, cut it. Or even if you get it processed, if you've yeah. got a place to store it. Uh, okay. uh, but to be able to purchase just, you know, I like loin chops, that's what I want, or I like asabuco, or I like stew meat, and that's what I want, and to be able to do that. And I know for my husband who does most of the shipping, um, nothing makes him happier than to send a box of goat meat to Texas, which has more goats than probably the entire Northeast put together. But you but can't necessarily probably. you can't necessarily buy just a pound of stew meat there. So we're trying to fill in a fill in a gap. Interesting, interesting. So, <clears throat> so tell me, how do you think? What kind of measures do you think we need to take to popularize goat meat more? I mean, what's the next step? How are we gonna How are we gonna get these animals coming out party? <laughs> Marge is the expert there. Well, it's, um, it certainly this show is helpful. I mean, what we've been trying to do through Time for Goat is to really provide people with 
the opportunity to try something that's very exciting. We'd applied for a couple of grants when we started Time for Goat. We didn't get any of them. And one we actually turned down because they wanted to give us lots of money to do a study to see if people wanted to eat goat. And it seemed to me that of all the products that you might eat, meat is one of those things that you really have you have a determination. I like this. I don't like this. So if I were to walk up to someone on the street with my clipboard and say, hi, I'm doing a survey for Time for Goat. Would you like goat meat? Would you purchase it? They'd go like, Totally no context. That? Exactly. So our way of doing the study was to start at a very small farmer's market, give samples to people. Every farmer's market we have samples. Whenever we do, we have uh, a commercial kitchen on our farm and we do um, have gatherings there. We always serve goat. Um, I do some catering. We always serve goat, whether it's chili or roast or whatever. Um, and I think, and Wendy, they do a goat school on their farm twice a year, and always have wonderful goat. We were there just last week, um, and uh, people were trying it that had never tried it before. So I think we're just out there, really trying to give people the opportunity to to try something new and different. And I know, you know, Kathy on their farm. I'm sure it's the same, isn't it? It is, and when I was at a farmer's market a few years ago, I had a whole bulletin board um, of how I raise my goats and why and the whole politics of our farm and feeding people good quality food. And I didn't have samples, but people just read the story of why I did what I did, and they were happy with it, and more people than not tried it. Yeah, so, I mean, we're just out there in our, our own quiet little way, just doing our thing and trying to give people a chance. And what's fascinating is how many people, once they try it, determine that they really want, yeah, they Mm -hmm. really want Mm -hmm. it more. Mm -hmm. And that's what is very good for us because that helps the cheese makers, it helps the dairy folks, it helps the fiber folks, it helps the meat goat folks, um, and it supports small family farms, and that's really important to us. That's what we're all about here at Heritage Radio Network, supporting small family farms. Absolutely. And you do a great job. I I (laughs) think that, that... the more people realize they can raise goat and that they can do it at, at least for profit maybe not they're not going to be millionaires off it but they can be sustainable it's it's such an exciting way to go and it, we find people come on the farm here for our classes and then they go home with a starter herd of some sort and and they just love it they just go with it and because of the fact that it's it's holistic in the sense like you started off the whole session with about the whole animal is used. I mean, we sell our pelts, we sell our meat, we sell our fiber, we sell our goats, and it becomes a, a circle of life. It becomes a whole system that is healthy from beginning to end and that is all-inclusive and completely sustainable. You know, so many people that are vegetarian wear leather belts and <laughs> eat ice cream without realizing that the part of eating meat is a part of that circle. And you might drive a vegan car, but it's made with, you know, oil products, plastics, and things like that. So, you know, and we even, get pretty into all, this. <laughs> what's that? We get pretty into this. We do. Yeah. And even all the manure that gets generated ends up mm. on a farm someplace, so it's feeding lots of good vegetables. So it, it really is just a complete circle, and I think once you add the milk and the cheese into it, it becomes even more complete. Oh, yeah. So let me ask you this, though. Do you think the goat is under-consumed because... It's under-raised. I mean, do you think some of the big farms in the United States, if they started to produce more goat for meat, more meat goats, that people would be eating more goat? Or is it an issue that the consumers, that there aren't as many consumers demanding it? Um, I, I, yeah, go I ahead. would say that 
it's it's a combination of that. But I think that something like 70% of the goat meat eaten in the United States is imported. So there's yeah. lots and lots of room for the small farmer that's looking for a niche that they can actually develop something and have a sustainable product that they can use in so many different ways. It's just hanging out there to be taken advantage of. Uh-huh. And in small scale or in large scale, I think that's yeah. the other piece, and it, it just depends on what people have for capacity on their farm. Where are they imported from, from South America? Australia and New Zealand. Australia and New Zealand. Same as the lamb. Yeah. Right, right. The other thing, um, you know, again, just talking about the fact that we represent all different aspects of the goat industry, one of the things that I've been involved with, interestingly enough, through the American Sheep Industry Association, um, is a new group called the American Goat Federation. And what we're attempting to do is to bring together all of these different breed associations, all of the different product associations, whether it's the you know folks who make goat cheese or, or sell goat milk or, um, or do cashmere or, or any of the other... Mohair. Mohair, thank you. <laughs> or any of the... I'm not a fiber person, what can I say? Um, or any of those other products, um, that, to bring them together to really look at the marketing piece and to see what kinds of things we can do to do a better job on a larger scale of marketing goat meat because and other products because they really are so important and they're so positive again in terms of carbon footprint in terms of the ground and and they're great for diverse sustainability. farms they're very sustainable and so and I think Kathy do you want to talk just a little bit more about your farm and the other things you do because you have a really diver- more diverse farm than either Wendy or I have um, well, our farm, we're, we're into the fifth generation of people that are working on this farm. My two-year-old is the youngest one, and his job is picking up eggs and feeding the compost worms, um, <laughs> which he's thrilled with. But we, we have beef animals, not very many, um, maybe 15 or so. We have firewood. We grow grain. We grow spelt, wheat, and oats. And last year we got a grant from Farms for the Future to finish setting up our mill so we can process our own grain here, but we can also process grain for other farmers who have small, you know, lots that they, you know, don't want to travel for. Um, We sell firewood. We grow vegetables. We have my daughter and my husband are now um, trying to build a herd of Jersey cows um, when he retires, and she... Um, you know, wants to start taking over milking. So from the dairy, from the jerseys, we make, we have milk that we sell on the farm and several cheeses, mozzarella and soft cheese, and then my goat cheeses. Um, We sell beef either by the half, by the quarter, or by the piece now when people come here. Um, So, you know, we do a lot of things. We can make pancake mixes, cornmeal, cornbread mixes, um, flour, Rolled oats, rolled spelt. Wow. So it is pretty diverse. Um, this is a one-stop delicious food <laughs> food source. We're, we're trying to, you know, that's always been my goal is to feed people really quality food. I've had health issues over the years, and, and I found that when I raised my own animals, I didn't have the same issues that I had when I would buy it at a supermarket or go to a restaurant. Um, so my system is really sensitive, but... I feel like the canary in the coal mine, you know, like if it's bothering me, it must be bothering people on some level. So, so my commitment... Almost, so you're producing almost every kind of food type. We are. We are. So um, you could, in theory, you could, if you, you could never leave your farm and you could be as healthy as, as healthy as anyone. 
I don't know. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, one of the things that's that's interesting in terms of growing our own food, like one of the things, we raise turkeys. And so uh-huh. last year, um, you know, Kathy purchased one of our turkeys, and one of the things we talked about was, well, let's trade. So we don't raise a lot of vegetables on our farm because I'm in New York working half the time. So mm-hmm. we talked about trading some vegetables for the turkey. And there's a lot of bartering that's going on. There are a lot that's of cool. shared things going on. And, and I think the thing that's exciting about the grain mill is that to some degree what they're doing at Webb Family Farm is similar to what we're doing at Time for Goat, and that's providing the infrastructure, which is a very different infrastructure in these two cases, but the infrastructure to support other farms as well. Hmm. Yeah, that's right. And her turkey was wonderful. It didn't bother me at all. It's the first (laughs) turkey I've had in years that I didn't react to. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) The new turkeys are showing up this week, so we'll be in touch. Okay. Well, wait, well, Kathy and Wendy, I want you guys each to give our listener more information about where they can find your products online, how they can learn more about your farm. So, Kathy, why don't you go ahead and give, okay. give our listeners um, more info well, about it. Okay. We're listed on the MOFCA website, the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners website. Um, they just list all the farms that are, you know, certified by them and what products are available. Um, and and everything is on there. Our phone number, our address. That's probably the best way um, to find us. Yep. What about you, Wendy? We're Springtide. That's a one word. SpringtideFarm.com. Uh, and we have we focus on cashmere goats. So we do breeding stock and fiber and patterns and yarn, all those kinds of things, as well as our goat meat goes in through Marge and Time for Goat. So. That's how to reach us. And what about you, Marge? We're dragonflycofarm.com, and we have um, a commercial kitchen. We also do pancake mix and baked goods. We also, it's a shared-use kitchen. We have a wonderful woman, Morris Stevens, who's a chef, and she uses our kitchen to make great products. We raise garlic, goats, turkeys, chickens, eggs, pork, um, and uh, dragonflycofarm.com. And it's just, it's great working with, with these other wonderful women. And I would just say to anybody, come to Maine, travel through Maine, eat your way across the entire state. You'll find great food. Yeah, and they even have some lobster somewhere around here. Yes, absolutely. That's right. We forgot about lobster. Well, listen, ladies, Marge, Kathy, Wendy, I want to extend a sincere thank you from Heritage Radio Network and Heritage Foods USA for you guys joining this panel. And I know that. Patrick over at Heritage Foods only approves of the highest quality producers, and I know that he's spoken nothing but kind words about you three. Oh, thank awesome. you. So, thank and you. we hope to have you many, many on many times again. And Kathy, you'll definitely have to be on Ann Saxelby's Cheese Show. Hundred <laughs> percent. Right. We love it. Yeah, All right, and the Heritage Radio Network wants to thank Hearst Ranch, our patron and sponsor. Have a good night. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, guys. Bye.